0: your favorite pga and lpga legends pros and top instructors are right here every week on next on the t join chris as the greats of the
1: game share their stories insights and playing lessons now back to chris and more of the show all right now back with me here on the french Lick resort guest line is my good friend chris chaya let me remind you about chris's background He's from Greenwich, Connecticut, played his college golf at East Carolina University and earned his degree in marketing. He's been a PGA golf instructor for the last 26 years at Boca West Country Club in Boca Raton, Florida. He has been named the 2010 PGA Teacher of the Year for the South Florida section and named the Southeast Florida PGA Teacher of the Year as well. Chris has coached players on the PGA Tour, the Web.com Tour, the Canadian Tour, and the LPGA Tour as well. Additionally, many of his juniors are now playing college golf. He has been a swing fix, swing fix instructor and contributor doing videos, analysis, and writing articles for the Golf Channel, and I am very honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Chris, thanks for coming back on the show.
0: Hey, good evening, Chris. Thank you for the invite again. It's great to be on your show.
1: So it's been a minute, my friend, since we've got to spend some time with you. Catch us up. What's been going on with you over the last several months?
0: Well, I tell you what, I've been, I've been super busy just teaching every day at Boca West and Boca Raton. And, uh, we've only had a couple of rainouts. So it's, uh, it's been a great season so far. We're seeing a lot of new faces and a lot of, uh, people returning, uh, to Boca West. And it's been, uh, it's been great. It's very exciting. And, uh, I'm just staying super busy and, uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, this great 2019. It's a, and, uh, we're real excited for this upcoming season.
1: And Chris, talking about Boca West, right, I mean, it, it's a beautiful looking place, and I, I've certainly looked, looked at it online. Yeah, for our listeners who, are, who aren't familiar with it, tell them all about it. Well, it's located in
0: Palm Beach County, and uh, Palm Beach County is a real golf mecca. It's just uh, it's an amazing place for golf and, and, and a lot of other things. And, uh, you know, Boca West has four unbelievable golf courses. It's, it's the number one Equity Club in Florida, and, and it's rated now a platinum club. Uh, it's number 15 uh, worldwide as far as um, golf clubs, so we're very proud of that. And it's uh, it's a super nice place. So anybody that's in the area, or come down to South Florida, please uh, give me a call at Boca West. We'd love to have you come out and play some golf, and, uh, take a lesson, and uh, check the place out. It's really uh, something special.
1: And Chris. I, I want to get some tips from you tonight, and I want to start by the, the video that you shared with me a little bit earlier today regarding pre-shot routine. Talk about your routine and how, A, how can we develop one of our own and why it's important to have one.
0: Well, I, th- I think the pre-shot routine is is often overlooked, and I think to, uh, to play your best golf, you really need to work on a pre-shot routine and, and become more consistent on your approach to every shot you hit. Was saying about you know visualizing the shot and looking more at the target when you're practicing and training and when you get on the golf course. I'm a big believer in that. And the video you're referencing is a is a video that we produced and sent out to our club members and then it finds its way onto social media and uh, it, it's a great way to share short instructional tips with our membership and 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 then share it with uh, the social media platform. And I learned in college when I was playing for East Carolina, uh, that was one of the things that I picked up is, uh, is developing a pre-shot routine. And one of the reasons I, I really uh, started working on my pre-shot was t- routine was just to become a faster player because, uh, unfortunately, I was known as a slow player. And, and when that was brought to my attention by my peers, I, I figured, okay, I need to develop a routine that would uh, get me to hit the, hit the shots consistently at the same elapsed time. And I found I started playing better golf when I, when I started really focusing on that routine. So in my routine typically starts with, uh, you know, obviously surveying the shot or, or what's in front of me, looking down the target line, but down to where I, uh, when I, when it's go time, when it's time to hit the shot, I take four steps to the ball. I look twice at my target. And then that's after the second look at the target, that becomes the swing trigger for me. And I start my swing right from there. And it takes about 13 seconds for me to go through the routine, so I'm well within the, you know, a lot of time in tournament play of 40 seconds to hit a shot. But the key was really to to do two things: become more consistent, but also to pick up the pace of play.
1: Chris, I want to talk about some other stroke savers that we can do. What is something that most most of us amateurs don't do? And we're throwing away strokes because we're not doing it. What are some of those stroke savers that you've noticed amongst your your students over the years that you think, boy, you know, we got to get this word out a little bit more. We need our amateurs doing more of this and less of that.
0: Well, that's a that's a super uh, question, Chris. The number one thing, without a doubt, is uh, to control the pace of your putts. You know, from ten feet away, on average, a professional player. Um, is going to make 40% of their 10-footers. From there, when we move outside of that range, if we're only making 40% from 10 feet, let's say we're 20 or 30 feet away, the, the percentages go way down. So an amateur golfer, over time, can learn how to putt more like a pro, but number one, they have to learn how to control the pace. So when they're outside of a, a 10-foot range, let's just say, they need to just be trying to get down in two and just work on speed control. To control your speed as a golfer when you putt, one of the first things you have to learn is how to hit the ball on the sweet spot consistently on your putter. So that when I'm working with students on on distance control through their lesson program, it will come up as far as the putter, the equipment they're using, because we really need to hit the ball on the sweet spot consistently to then learn how to control the pace of the putt. So number one is for amateur golfers to work on your distance control of your putting and learn how to roll the ball just getting it close to the hole so you can reduce the three putts. Myself and other professional players, when we're, let's say, 30 feet or closer, uh, it's rare that we're going to three putt. When I look at amateur golfers from the same distance, they're three putting all the time from 20, 30 feet. So right away, that's a score builder that we can easily correct with the proper training.
1: And Chris, to that point, is is there a drill or something that you do to help you make sure you're hitting it on the sweet spot of the putter every time?
0: Well, a couple of things I do. Number one, it's very simple. I take a uh, either I take a range ball with a stripe on it, or I take um, one of the Pro V's out of my bag and I and I put a line on it, or or put a line where the logo is. And I, when I hit the putt exactly on the sweet spot and hit the ball uh, squarely, the ball will roll on the seam of the, of the ball, of the stripe. So if you imagine a range ball, if you put it on the ground so the stripe is, is pointing right down the target line and the putt's relatively flat, when you stroke the putt, let's say you start at six feet or eight feet, when you hit it squarely, the ball will roll like a wheel, like a tire, right on that seam, and then you know you're hitting it square. If you hit it off center or the face angle's off a little bit the ball, you'll immediately see that there's a little side rotation on the ball. So that's one good drill. Another one that I I like to do is I actually videotape my putting stroke with the the camera very low so I can actually see and do a slow-mo and watch how my putter is hitting the ball. And that gives me a real good visualization and also very good feedback as to whether or not I'm hitting a sweet spot or not.
1: And Chris, if if, uh, someone like me came to you and said, hey, I want to break 80, I'm dedicated to breaking 80, how would you help me break 80?
0: Well, the first thing I would do uh, once you brought that to my attention and watched you on the range is I would uh, introduce the uh, playing lesson to you. I would uh, take you out on the golf course and actually watch how you play on the golf course or I'd either play with you or just watch how you play the course and just see what I notice. And I'm a big believer in the on-course instruction. I just finished an article for PGA Magazine that will be coming out in March. I hope everybody can check that out. Uh, And I I talk about that as far as how I work with uh, golfers and and, and introduce the playing lesson as part of the lesson program. When golfers have that as a goal, in your case, if that's your goal to, to break that barrier, I have to see what you're doing on the golf course to help you identify the areas that need the most work.
1: And to that end, Chris, and that's something that we have started talking about a little bit more on this show, there is a very big difference between practicing your swing on the practice range and then actually playing the game of golf. So when you're out watching right. your students play, play you know, uh, on the course, what are the things that you're looking for? Are you looking for, you know, how I'm attacking the golf course, if I'm able to hit the ball on the right side of the fairways and give myself the correct angles? How are you assessing whether I'm actually, you know, good at playing the game?
0: Well, I'd like to have golfers when going to golf course limit their shots to one ball. I'd like to see them hit one ball tee to green and not get in the habit of just immediately reloading another ball. I want to see how they handle different situations and see just firsthand what their game is really like. And um, when I get an opportunity to play with with uh, my students over a period of time, that, that's very, very helpful. Or well, for the tournament players that I coach, watching them actually in tournament play and making notes from what I observe uh, while they're, uh, that's very helpful as well. But, uh, again, at Boca West, we have four just super, super golf courses in perfect shape, and the greens are rolling at 11, 12 on a daily basis, and everything is just beautiful. Uh, I'd love to take uh, students on the golf course and watch and and, and to see how they're doing and and really get them comfortable with the on-course instruction, and and that's very, very helpful.
1: And, Chris, you you talked about pre-shot routine a moment ago, but before you start your round of golf, is there a warm-up routine that you go through? How should we be getting prepared for our rounds of golf?
0: Well, I I saw a video uh, recently about Tiger Woods' pre-shot, or his, excuse me, his uh, pre-round ritual, and they and they went over the how many shots he hit with what, what clubs and how many putts he took and so on and so on. And it was, I believe, it was 147 total swings that he made in his pre-shot, you know, his pre-round warm-up. And of those shots, 80% were from 100 yards or closer. So he was hitting a lot of putts, a lot of chips, a lot of pitches, you know, less than full shots. And that was his consistent routine that he would do before tournament play. So when you think of the best player that's played the game, and that's how they warm up, that's a good model right there. And I and I learned early in my career as a collegiate player and as a professional player, I would observe what some of the other players were doing. You know, when I was uh, let's say at a tournament, if I saw somebody who uh, I thought really knew what was going on, and I'd watch how they would warm up, I often noticed that other professional players were starting off with uh, a lot of short swings. So I incorporated that into my pre-round ritual where I would uh, go to the to the range first, but when I hit the driving range after doing some stretching, I would start off and just chip and pitch the ball from the practice team. I wouldn't take full swings. Um, now that I'm a little bit older, I sometimes start off and take fuller swings at you know, less than full speed just to stretch out a little more, but... Golfers can really benefit from just getting the feel of the short shots, maybe even starting off and do some putting for a few minutes before they do the chipping and pitching. Uh, but it's very, very important just to get the feel, the feel in your hand, just the, the feel of the club and, and work it from there. And, and don't just hit, you know, full shots with drivers in your warm up. Um, but, you know, to see, see Tiger's routine where he hit you know, uh, the overwhelming majority of his shots were, were less than full swings and certainly a lot of putts and chips. That, that really kind of is an eye-opener for most players.
1: You mentioned uh, you know uh, stretching out a moment ago. Are there some stretches that you do before you do any of that to kind of loosen up your muscles? Well, I do uh, stretch. I like to
0: stretch out my, my forearms and wrists and shoulders uh, first, uh, so I make sure... Uh, I take some time to, to stretch out those areas. And then I'm a big believer in uh, hamstring stretching uh, for good posture and hip flexor stretches. So I kind of hit those areas, the the hamstring, the hip flexors, and uh, the wrists. And uh, I had a shoulder injury a few years ago, so I, I'm always aware of that just to, to make sure, you know, I warm up the upper body as well.
1: Chris, a couple more before we let you go. And, and you mentioned the short game. And there's uh, that's an area that a lot of us amateurs lose strokes around the green. So I want to talk about chipping for a moment. Talk about ball position, setup. How should we be uh, positioning our bodies and our setups so that uh, we are hitting good, crisp chip shots and we're getting the ball as close to the hole as possible?
0: Well, One of the things I like to teach golfers is to try to keep the ball as low to the ground as you possibly can for the short game shots. So if I... W- I'm looking at a situation around the green and I think I can keep the ball really low, you know, I'm either going to putt it or I'm going to take, you know, a seven, eight iron and just keep the ball flight low so I don't have to manipulate the club quite so much. Now, if someone gave me, you know, if I took out my lob wedge and someone said, you know, hit the lob wedge as low as you hit a seven iron, well, I could do that, but that requires moving the ball back in the stance, creating a lot of shaft lean and kind of manipulating the, the the club itself to to send the ball at a lower trajectory. Now, to keep it simple, if I took a less lofted club, you know, a five iron, a six iron, a seven iron, and did a, a simple one-lever type chipping action, I can keep the ball very low to the ground without having to really manipulate uh, the club quite so much. So, you know, one of the, the, the ideas I always try to stress with students is you try to – take not only the simplest shot, but you try to keep the ball as low to the ground as you can to control the distance and the direction. You know, take the air out of the shot. Don't throw it up in the air unless you have to. So, that's a very good tip for for the amateurs out there listening in or the the, the professional players that, you know, sometimes just grab a, a sand wedge and try to put some loft on the shot. Well, just remind yourself to take take the lower shot and keep it as simple as you can. And you'll, you'll get the ball much closer to the pin. Now, let's talk about it let's talk a little bit about the rule changes <clears throat> the uh what are your thoughts on on uh, some of these rule changes we're seeing
1: <laughs> yeah that's been a hot topic and um I, I tell you there there are a couple things one I, i'm always uh, entertained by guys with the new drop rule coming from the knee on how they're mm-hmm. contorting their bodies to get the to get the drop from the from knee height i, I, I still don't understand mm-hmm. why we needed to go away from dropping it at shoulder height down to the knee height and then with mm-hmm. the, uh, with the flagstick rule, putting with the flag stick in, I'm struggling a little bit with that, Chris. I mean, I know that, uh, you know, Me hey, too. I'm, I'm, I keep the flag stick in on when I'm chipping from off the green. And, and it's certainly helpful if, if you might get a little bit too much speed on the ball, that sort of thing can slow it down, knock it down, keep yourself close to the hole. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand why you would keep the flag stick in on a 20-foot putt, unless you're at Augusta National or Oakmont and, and it's rolling 14 on the stimp and it's a straight downhiller. Right. Yeah, I get it. Outside of that, I'm, I'm sort of struggling with it. What are your thoughts?
0: Well, I have a few. I, I, I think there's a high probability. My guess is going to be they're going to switch that rule back for professional play. I think it's a definite advantage to leave the stick in. So the flag sticks in and you're on the green and you're using that to your advantage. I think that's taking a little bit of the skill out of it. So I'd like to see, you know, if 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 I were in charge, I'd I'd go back to the way we had it before and not allow players to leave the stick in because it's such an advantage to have it in. Let's say for a pro golfer, you know, when I hit a putt too hard, it's usually a long putt. So if I hit a, you know, 80 footer with too much pace and it wraps into the stick and deflects off, you know, two or three feet from the hole, well, in that case, that flagstick helped me because I'm going to two-putt. If the stick were out and I hit it with that much pace, maybe I would go 10 or 12 feet by the hole. Maybe I'm going to miss the comebacker because, again, as a professional player, I'm only going to make 40% from 10 feet. So right there, it's kind of the proof that the flagstick's an advantage. So my feeling is that in, in professional golf, we should be playing by different rules than the amateurs play, just the same as in other sports. Uh, you know, a high school football might have different rules than the NFL. You know the n b a is playing by a different three point line than that they than they do in high school, so why would professional golfers play by the same rules as amateur golfers so I think there should be uh, some talk to have the the p g a tour and the p g a look at the rules for the professionals and, and and make them different than what the amateurs are playing so I just think at the club level if it's an advantage you know to anchor your putter, let the club player do that it's if it's an advantage for the flag stick to be in and it speeds up play for for the amateur player, let them do that. But for professionals, I think I don't think it's going to take long for them to rever to switch that rule back. And, and as far as some of the other ones, as far as the dropping and, and touching the sand and things like that, again, I think there's, there should be some talk about having the rules a little different for professional play than amateur play.
1: It's interesting. You're, you're one of the first people to come on and talk about uh, the desire for bifurcation. I think there is a there's a lot of room for bifurcation whether it's the rules, whether it's the equipment you mentioned, you know, the different mm-hmm. three point lines, you know, in, in high school, college and, and at the NBA level. We know that they use That's different right. bats they use different bats in, in Little League and high school and college ball than they do at the major league level. So the idea oh. that uh the PGA Tour could not do bifurcation for equipment is clearly all mm-hmm. based on the manufacturers and not because it's not Correct. it's unprecedented in sports so right. yeah i find that a, a very interesting uh, topic to discuss
0: mm-hmm. yeah i definitely think so I mean, and when when they you know like let's look at the masters for example you
1: know, i'll be very surprised
0: if they allow the pros to leave the flag stick then at, at augusta I, I don't think they're going to do it i think there's going to be a local rule and they're going to have to take the flag stick out it's my feeling but um yeah i think i think there should be some talk about that i mean i i don't I mean, if it's within the rules and I can leave the stick in, I'm leaving it in on every putt because I do think it's an advantage. And especially, like, we've known when you're off the green, it's an advantage to leave it in. So when you're on the green, it definitely is an advantage. And I find it's a little easier to aim at the stick anyway than when there's no stick there. But, um you know, I would encourage the amateurs, as long as it's within the rules, to leave the stick in um, because it can help for sure.
1: Chris, before we let you go, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with all the things you're doing, whether it's following you online or it's on social media? Well,
0: uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, they can find me, um, you know, on the PGA sites and to stay current with, uh, you know, what I'm up to, just, uh, you know, look me up online, uh, give me a call at Boca West. I'm, I'm there year round. Um, the, uh, that's probably the best way to contact me. Just, you know, Go on, uh, contact me at Polka West or through, uh, my website, uh, They Then contact me directly there or I can be reached at, uh, 833 PGA Golf. Uh, that's a line that, that can connect, uh, listeners with me. But, uh, definitely please, when you're down in Florida or you want to make a trip, uh, feel, feel free to contact me. I'd love to to work with you. And, uh, uh that, that's the, the best way to, to, to contact me through there.
1: Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming back and being a part of the show again tonight. Always good to spend some time with you. Look forward to the next time that uh, you'll come back. I hope that's real soon.
0: Anytime. It's my pleasure and uh, all the best this year to you. And uh, and your show is great. I enjoy listening to it. And, again, thank you. Uh, It's been an honor to be on your show. Thank you, Chris. Uh, I
1: appreciate you, Chris. Take care. All the best to you and your family, my friend. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's a great Christian Chaya. So Chris Chaya, C-Z-A-J-A is Chaya. Go look him up online. You can also find him on social media. Always a good time talking to Chris. A lot of great playing lessons there. And uh, looking forward to having him back on the show again real soon. All right, I've got my next guest, Tom Patry, hanging on the line. going to get to Tom on the other side of this message because this segment of the show is brought to you by our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore.